Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 523. I thought we'd start this morning's show with a poem. Yuck. Well, don't worry, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's short. I was walking to Talking Birds headquarters on Thursday when I heard a songbird trilling. Yeah, we almost thought spring would refuse to arrive, but now it finally seems willing. I was pretty sure I could ID this bird, but I couldn't seem to find it even though it was in a leafless tree with a clear blue sky behind it. I fired up an app on my iPhone in hopes it would give to me a confirmation of the ID of that bird that I could hear but could not see. I pressed the button and got a match. Yes, that's the bird I heard sing. And then things suddenly got quiet as the target bird took wing. But confirming the sound on this lovely spring day thrilled me to the marrow by knowing I'd heard for the first time this year the song of a chipping sparrow. There he is now. Beautiful trilling sound. There is the possibility that I was actually hearing a late-season dark-eyed junco or maybe a pine warbler or worm-eating warbler, but I'm going with chipping sparrow. I'm pretty sure about that. And by the way, if you've ever tried locating a bird that you hear singing and find yourself getting confused about its location, it may be because of a phenomenon known as bird ventriloquism, by which we humans are hard-pressed to determine just where a bird song or call is coming from. Heidi Ware, out at Boise State University, did some investigating about this phenomenon, and she'll be with us on an upcoming show to pass along some of the pretty amazing things she's learned about bird ventriloquism. Meanwhile, on next week's show, we'll welcome a man who has embarked on a pretty exciting journey, Smithsonian Natural History Museum ornithologist Dr. Bruce Beeler, who was one of our guests when we broadcast our 500th show at the Smithsonian in D.C. back in November, is on a 100-day trek from way down in High Island, Texas, to way up in Ontario, Canada, as he follows the spring migration of birds heading north. He'll be reporting on his sightings and experiences right here on Talking Birds as his trip continues. And we'll have our first visit with Bruce next week. The sound of ruby-throated hummingbirds there. Last week, Elizabeth Howard from Journey North was with us, giving us a hummingbird migration update. We've checked the map on Journey North's website and we see that ruby-throated hummingbirds have now reached as far north as southern New Hampshire and southern Vermont, with one sighting by the Canadian border in northern Vermont. That's here in the east and in the Midwest, sightings midway up through Wisconsin and Minnesota. They're out there along with many other species of hummers heading north. Do a search for Journey North or you could check out hummingbirds.net or eBird for more info or to contribute your sightings, or both. Here's a reminder that Talking Birds now offers same-day service. Yes, thanks to the capabilities of our new TalkingBirds.com website, you can now find podcasts of our show on the same day 
that the show airs live. Same-day service podcasts now available at TalkingBirds.com and at iTunes. Here's our conservation salute of the week. First, a bit of background. According to the U.N. Environment Program, 8 million pieces of marine debris enter the ocean every day. That's 6.4 million tons each year. Everything from fishing gear to food wrappers, from cigarette filters to toothbrushes. And among the most immediately harmful of all are balloons. Party balloons that folks fill with helium and then release into the air. Of course, they don't stay in the air. They burst and come back to the earth as plastic trash. Deadly stuff that causes the demise of millions of birds and marine animals who often mistake them for food. Well, out on the island of Nantucket, the Grey Lady of the Sea, they're trying to do something about it, at least locally. They have voted in a balloon ban, an amended town bylaw that means people will no longer be able to sell or use any type of balloon that can be inflated with lighter-than-air gas, such as helium. Nantucket town clerk Catherine Flanagan-Stover says a violation of the law will lead to a $50 fine and that the town is working on materials to inform the public and vacationers about the rules. So a conservation salute to the town of Nantucket for saying bye-bye to airborne balloons. Still to come on our show today, we'll head off to a nearby pond in search of today's mystery bird. Be the first to identify it by the calls and clues we'll provide and win a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees and a big bag of bird-friendly coffee from our friends at Birds and Beans. We'll head down to Cape Cod to check in with Mike O'Connor, who'll answer a listener's question about woodpeckers on today's installment of Let's Ask Mike, and we'll be joined in studio by special guest John Harrison, and on the phone by special guest Kim Nagy, editors of a new book about a marvelous place known to many as Sweet Auburn. And we'll introduce a marvelous featured feathered friend right after this announcement of interest. One of America's great birding festivals is coming soon, the Acadia Birding Festival at beautiful Mount Desert or Desert Island, Bar Harbor, Maine, runs from May 28th through the 31st and offers great experiences for birders of all levels with field trips, workshops, and evening presentations by birding celebrity Ken Kaufman of the Kaufman Field Guides and David LaPuma, director of the Cape May Bird Observatory. And you won't want to miss the seabird boat trip with more than 25 experienced guides to help you identify birds. Find out more at AcadiaBirdingFestival.com, AcadiaBirdingFestival.com. Dr. Finch speaking. Oh, hi, Doc. What seems to be the problem? Oh, boy. You've probably never heard this one before. Well, I'm a bird, you see, and, well, um, my lower mandible is longer than my upper mandible. Hmm, I see. What kind of bird are you? A black skimmer. Well, that's perfectly normal for your species. It is? Yes. Your beak is fine. But wait till you see your bill. <laughs> Not funny, Doc. <laughs> If you were to view the black skimmer's bill from above or below, you'd see that it's knife-thin. That's what allows it to slice through the water as it flies along, catching small fish as it goes. The black skimmer is active during the day, but more active at dawn and dusk, and its sense of touch allows it to scoop up fish in low light or even darkness. It's a medium to large bird, related to gulls and terns, with a black back and cap, white underparts, long pointed wings, very short red legs, and that long asymmetrical bill is red and black. 
The black skimmer breeds along the East Coast from Massachusetts and New York southward to southern Mexico and sounds like this. The black skimmer, our featured feathered friend, here on Talking Birds. Thanks again for being with us on our show, number 523. Hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. Well, just outside the city of Boston, there's a beautiful place that many call Sweet Auburn. It's 174 acres of rolling hills and flowering shrubs, majestic trees, shimmering ponds, and on its highest hill, a 62-foot-high granite tower affording panoramic views of greater Boston and beyond, including the spectacular skyline of the city. Every year, Sweet Auburn welcomes 200,000 visitors, including thousands of bird watchers. It will come as a surprise to some that this place of tranquil beauty is a cemetery one whose classical monuments mark the resting places of such luminaries as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and R. Buckminster Fuller, uh, to name a few. And this remarkable place has inspired two birdwatching Bostonians to create a book about it with a title that honors the fact that it is a cemetery where many folks, uh, famous folks, are interred. It's called Dead in Good Company. A celebration of Mount Auburn Cemetery. And its editors are here with us this morning. Kim Nagy on the phone from her home and John Harrison right here in the studio. Good morning, Kim and John. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having us here to um, talk about this long journey uh, that we've had with, the, with Dead and Good Company, which is finally close to the end, which is you know the release of the book. <laughs> so. Indeed. Well, Congratulations on on uh, the upcoming publishing of that book. And are you there, Kim? I am. Thank you so much for having us on the show today. You're very welcome. I'm thrilled thrilled to have uh, both of you here. John, give us a thumbnail sketch, if you would, of the book and why you and Kim created it. Well, it's a book of uh, essays, poems, and photographs of the wildlife of Mount Auburn Cemetery. And the, the essays are from well-known... Uh, Authors, mostly Boston area authors, but um, some out of Boston. Um, Camilla Fox, who founded Project Coyote in California, is is in the book, and um, John Hadidian of the Humane Society of the United States in Washington D.C. is in it. But it's authors that people will recognize from around the area. Uh, William Martin, the historical novelist, who's had a string of ten bestsellers, beginning with Back Bay, he has an essay in the book, and it's the first essay, it's the lead-off essay, and we feel that if you read that essay called The Actor and the Hawk, you're going to love this book just from there. The Actor and the Hawk. The Actor and the Hawk. Uh, We have uh, essays also from uh, Mayor Ray Flynn, from Megan Marshall, who wrote the Pulitzer Prize winner of 2014 in biography, and uh, David Sibley has given us a wonderful drawing of a Blackburnian wobbler Mm -hmm. at the front of the book. Uh, Upton Bell, who was an interviewer and a sports interviewer for for years in Boston, former and, general manager of the Patriots, and yes, way youngest back. youngest yeah. general manager of the Boston <laughs> Patriots way back. Upton has a wonderful essay. Alan Dershowitz, of course, has written our introduction, which we're very happy about. Mm-hmm. And David Barnett, the president and CEO of Mount Auburn Cemetery, has written our forward 
uh, which is uh, we're also very very happy about. Um, we have. Um, a, a, Hank Philippi Ryan, the Boston television icon, yeah. she has an essay. And uh, Gary Gosh Garian, the, the Arlington author and uh, professor of writing at Northeastern University, he has an essay. And our youngest um, contributor, Annalise Merrigan, 14 years old, a, a former Medford student who now goes to Newman School, which is Ray Flynn's school. Mm-hmm. She's very talented. She has written a poem and, a, and has given us a drawing of a red-tailed hawk from Mount Auburn Cemetery. And Doug Chickering, who's been here, oh, sure. uh, he has an essay in it, and Wayne Peterson of, of Mass Audubon, who's mm-hmm. been here yep. often. He has an essay, and in fact, it's about to his love of the yellow rump wobblers and what influence Mount Auburn has had on that. So mm-hmm. it's, um, and of course, about 200 photographs of the, the wildlife, mostly birds, of Mount Auburn Cemetery, and also foxes, coyotes, and the other uh, wildlife that, that inhabits uh, Mount Auburn, and including the spring and fall wobblers that come through and should start coming through right now. So um, we're very excited uh, to have done this. It's um, as much as it's a celebration of Mount Auburn Cemetery, it is also our tribute to this place that we love. And um, that's what has inspired us. And Kim and I kind of think of the spirit of Mount Auburn that has guided us through this whole project. Kim, this was a big undertaking, uh, required a lot of passion on your part and John's. So what is so inspiring to you about Mount Auburn that compelled you to embark on this project. And also tell us about that title, Dead in Good Company. Well, I'll address your first question. Mount Auburn Cemetery is a beautiful place that everyone should be aware of for many different reasons, and you'll have to read the book to know why. (laughs) But aside from that, it really is a very special place, and it's unsurpassed in beauty and serenity and also has a lot of wildlife that people may not be aware of. And regarding your second question, John and I were discussing possible titles for the book, but we wanted to be more than just a beautiful coffee table book. We wanted to appeal to a wide audience because it does seem kind of strange to have a tribute to a cemetery, and our purpose was to show that it was so much more than just a cemetery. Mm -hmm. And when John had sent Kate Flora's work, I knew that her essay should be the title of our book as soon as I finish reading the first paragraph. I thought it was wonderful. And also in our book, it ends with an adorable photo that John had taken of a groundhog just coming out of the hole, and its little teeth are there. And it's, it's really it's a great ending. So every essay has uh, an ending with a photograph. We have different essays that have photo essays as well. But it typically ends with a photograph, and they're dispersed throughout the book. Some people get lost in Mount Auburn Cemetery. It's a pretty big uh, place, and I wrote something. <laughs> something yeah, yours in there. was yours was great, and that <laughs> happened to me too. I I hadn't um, to, to to tell you the truth. When I first met John, I had only been to Mount Auburn Cemetery once in the twenty twenty five years that I had lived here, mm-hmm. and I recall thinking that. Anyone who recommends meeting at a cemetery for the first time has got to be a very interesting character. <laughs> interesting. Good choice of words there. Well, you managed to assemble, as we've heard, quite a cast of contributors. Was it hard to get people to take part, or were they generally eager to do so? Oh, no. they were eager. Yeah. 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 Well, just because... I've been a book distributor for 40 years, so yeah. most of these authors are friends through the years. Mm-hmm. And um, they all eagerly 
came aboard. In fact, we originally thought that we'd be maybe 175 pages, and we had so much interest in the book that that 175 pages has become just over 300 pages, mm-hmm. and that's because of the widespread interest. People love this place. Mm-hmm. It's a place of life which shines through almost in every essay that, that's kind of counterintuitive, but Mount Auburn Cemetery is a place of life, and that's the most interesting thing that you'll find reading essay after essay. Mm-hmm. So the contributors were, were happy to, to come aboard, and then they came. Um, they were wonderful. I mean, when I asked Bill Martin, William Martin, to, to write an essay and told him what we wanted to do, his answer was, just tell me what you need. This sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so fab- that's the kind of response we got from everybody. Fabulous pictures by Kim Nagy, pretty much. In there. Oh, beautiful. Really beautiful. Nice yeah, Kim, Kim has quickly embraced Mount Auburn from her first, first meeting there. Yes. So where and when can we get the book? Well, um, we're... We're probably about three weeks from publication. Mm-hmm. Um, it um, there'll be also simultaneously with with the book release there'll be a Kindle edition, mm-hmm. and um, it'll be available, of course, on Amazon and some Boston bookstores mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. And uh, we also, for for people who can check right now, we have uh, the Facebook page. Kim just finished with that and, and, and pushed the button on that Friday. So we have almost all of the contributors on the Facebook page, and by the end of it, we'll have everybody. Kim Nagy and John Harrison are the editors of this delightful new book about a very special and very bird-friendly place. The book is Dead in Good Company, a celebration of Mount Auburn Cemetery. Kim, congratulations again. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you. I, may I just say our Facebook page is facebook.com slash deadingoodcompany. One All right. Word. Excellent. And, John, you'll be staying here with us in the studio. Maybe you'll help us with our mystery bird contest. Well, the last time I, I was 10 seconds late, and uh, Mark <laughs> said, jeez, you just missed it. So our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. That's because Audubon Park wild bird seed is the finest kind, with more than a dozen selections to choose from, including the popular fruit and nut, songbird and cardinal, and no-waste patio blends. Human development and climate change are having increasing impacts on wild birds. Feeding the hummers, chickadees, goldfinches, cardinals, and all the beautiful and fascinating birds in your backyard really helps them survive. Survive and thrive. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Audubon Park wild bird food is made right here in the USA. Get some for your backyard birds today. Audubon Park wild bird food. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. Mystery Bird Contest, and you're eligible to win if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. And we urge you to call early in the process so we don't run out of time. We are especially late, I think, this morning. Here's the number, 781-837-4900. Our prize is the Droll Yankees Onyx Clever Clean 12-inch Sunflower Mixed Seed Feeder with a twist and release base that makes it really easy to clean. It's a beautiful feeder from Droll Yankees. We're going to have a bonus prize, too, of some birds and beans, bird-friendly, shade-grown coffee. 781-837-4900 is the number. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. 
I know this sounds like a, a, a person imitating a bird, but it really is a, an actual bird there. <laughs> it's a medium-sized dabbler associated with lakes and ponds. It has a gray body and a pale gray head, and in the male, only a black hind end. It also has an easily noticed white square patch at the base of its wings. Our bird, which winters mostly in the southern two-thirds of the U.S. and points south and breeds in much of the northern U.S. and southern Canada, feeds mostly on submerged aquatic Vegetation. What do you think it is? If you don't know, take a guess because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So take a guess at it or tell us what it is and win that beautiful Droll Yankees Clever Clean 12-inch Sunflower Mixed Seed Feeder and a big bag of Birds and Beans Coffee. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor and a question about woodpeckers. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Well, it can be hard to pick your favorite song or your favorite movie, but for us here at Talkin' Birds, choosing our favorite coffee is really easy. It's Birds and Beans, the good coffee. And we have two pieces of big news about Birds and Beans. The first is that Birds and Beans has been chosen as the official coffee of International Migratory Bird Day. That's a worldwide call to action to conserve birds and habitats throughout the Western Hemisphere. The other big news... Birds and Beans is now available for your office in convenient frack packs that make a single pot of coffee for less than 20 cents a cup. The Birds and Beans bottom line is this. If you love birds, want to support family farmers, and like great coffee, do what we do here at Talkin' Birds. Buy Birds and Beans, the good coffee. Birds and Beans is available at retail locations from Maine to California. Find the one nearest you or order online at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Birds and Beans, the good coffee. Here comes the Let's Ask Mike portion of our program. Good morning, Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Hey, good morning, Greg. We got a question here from Westport, Massachusetts. It's from Eleanor, and she says... My husband and I listen to your show every Saturday. I think they might listen on WCRI or WVBF, our stations down that way. She says, I want to know, why do I only see male woodpeckers at my suet feeder here in Westport, Mass? A male red-headed woodpecker and a male downy visit several times every day. Where are the females, Mike? Look at, look at you, Eleanor, all doing the ERA thing on us, trying to get the equalize to the females. <laughs> Well, first, yeah. I have a question for you, and I don't mean to be like, like poking fingers at you a little bit, but the mm. the redhead woodpecker thing makes me kind of scratch my head. Ah, oh, um, they both look the same. They look the same. Yeah. And mm. so I don't know what you got going on there. My, my mm. suggestion is you might have maybe a red-bellied woodpecker because I don't believe that they're. I mean, that would be a big mm. deal, right? We'd be all excited about a red-headed woodpecker. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion with those red bellies, especially since they don't really have a red belly. So. Right. Well, yeah. not that we can regularly not, see. Not yeah. so much, yeah. Yeah. So that's mm. a. So, um, okay. if I was a downies, that, that's a good question. Two things. Um, downy woodpeckers, when the w- winter is bad, like we've just finished, sometimes the birds will stay together in a territory, but other times the females, both birds will disappear, but more often than not, it's the females going off to look for food. So maybe in your situation, the male stayed and endured the winter while the female did a little bit of short-term migration to get away from this nasty winter we just went through. So maybe this year you didn't have a female. The other thing is the males will dominate a feeder, so if uh, if you've got an extra dominant male, and it would perhaps drive the feeder, the, the female, away 
from the food source. Again, since this was such a tough winter. So either the female left or the male just got a little bit too bossy for her liking. <laughs> and she went she went someplace else. But mm-hmm. now that it's spring, they're all going to be friends again. I would imagine you're going to see both pretty soon. Mm-hmm. In terms of the red-headed woodpecker, you know, just do a double take on that. See if it's got a, you've got a red belly. Red-headed woodpecker is a little bit rare, and the male and female look the same. All right. Well, there it is. Another definitive answer from Orleans, Massachusetts. That's where all the answers come from. All right. See you next week, Mike. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, the place where all the answers come from. Mike O'Connor, send your question in to Ray at TalkingBirds.com. We'll get an answer from Mike and send a copy of his book to you. Ray at TalkingBirds.com is the email address. We're back here uh, with the Mystery Bird Contest and John Harrison co-editor of Dead and Good Company, a celebration of Mount Auburn Cemetery, is here with us, 781-837-4900. And Sheila is in... Well, we have to hear the mystery bird again. Can we hear that? (laughs) Is that really a bird? Yeah, it really is. 781-837-4900, medium-sized dabbler associated with lakes and ponds, a gray body, pale gray head, and in the male, a black hind end. Also an easily noticed white square patch at the base of its wing. Sheila is in Rockland, Massachusetts. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. How are you today? Um, well, say hello to John Harrison. He, he's, he's well, too. He's taking pictures in here. Hi, Sheila. John. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. What do you think, Sheila, on the mystery bird contest? Is it a trumpeter swan? A, 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 oh, a, a, trum- a trumpeter swan. Uh, John, yep. is it uh, a trumpeter? I trump- don't think so. John doesn't think so, and he would know. Okay, thank you. Top quality guest. Thank you, Sheila. All right, 781-837-4900. Sam is in Ohio and is here with us. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. How are you? Um, Well, thank you. Are you in, like, all of Ohio or in one specific place? (laughs) No, I'm in in Medina. Medina, Ohio, of course. Good to hear from you, Sam. And uh, you heard the clues. And uh, say hello to John here. You don't want to leave him out. He's, He's looking a little lonely with his camera there. Good morning. Hi, Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right, Sam, what do you say on the mystery bird? Is it a gadwall? Is it a gadwall? Well, the audience has already told us that it is. A gadwall. Yeah, a kind of subdued looking and yeah, sort of an elegant duck, would you say, John? Yes, and if, if I were home, I would have called in and I would have got it. No, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> Maybe next time. Sam has beat you to it this time. How about gadwalls around Medina, Ohio, Sam? I haven't seen any um, recently. I've seen plenty of common loons, though. Those are yeah. pretty spectacular. Oh, my God. First time I've seen them this year. They are indeed. Hey, would you like to do a bonus question for a chance to win some coffee from Birds and Beans? Oh, uh, sure, yeah. All right. Well, it's it's going to be a three-part, uh, you know, multiple choice here. So here, okay. here it goes. Uh, by way of a pre-celebration of International Migratory Bird Day next month, this question comes to you, and the prize is a 12-ounce bag of Birds and Beans American Red Start Blend Coffee. Uh, that's a bird we saw during our recent trip to Panama, and it's on its way back north right now, maybe arriving here in the Northeast in time to celebrate International Migratory Bird Day on May 9th. The question uh, to you, Sam, is what is a gular pouch? What is a gular pouch? Here are your choices. Is it A, a type of hanging nest used by certain birds, like orioles? Is it B, a bare throat flap that can be expanded to accommodate large prey? Pelicans have them. Or D, is a gular pouch the latest handbag style from Louis Vuitton? Those are, that's our rim shot there for that. Those would be your, <laughs> your choices. Uh, what do you say, Sam? It's, uh, I think it's the pouch on the, on the neck or the throat, right? That's the, uh, 
pelicans have. Exactly correct. The bear's throat flap can be expanded to accommodate large prey or even a large sack of coffee, although that wouldn't probably be recommended, but it sure is really good to drink. Uh, Sam, congratulations. We're going to send you that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder and a bag of Birds and Beans bird-friendly coffee. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sam out there in Medina, Ohio, correctly identifying the gadwall, that beautiful duck, as our uh, mystery bird. By the way, I want to congratulate our friends at Birds and Beans because they have been chosen as the official coffee of uh, International Migratory Bird Day on May 9th. Uh, Check out their website, birdsandbeans.com. We love to support them because they are, in addition to providing great coffee to lots of people, they are saving birds and lots of them by using shade-grown coffee that preserves the bird's habitat. We're about out of time for our show this morning. John Harrison, thank you so much again for being with us. Oh, thank you, Ray. It's been wonderful. And thank Thank you, you. Kim Nagy, on the phone in their book, Dead in Good Company, a celebration of Mount Auburn Cemetery. Next week on our show, Dr. Bruce Beeler, who even as we speak is making his way from High Island, Texas to Ontario, Canada on a 100-day journey following the northward migration of birds will be our phone guest. He'll be with us to let us know where he is and what he's seeing. Don't forget our big broadcast from L.L. Bean, the three-day birding festival on May 24th. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield. Our engineer is Ryan Stanton. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information.